Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, if you'll turn there with me as we open up the Word of God today. We say that, I want you to understand that we believe that. We believe this is the Word of God. And that it reveals to the heart of man, the mind and the will of God, and that we are to obey it. It is what it says we are. And if it says we are sinners, we are sinners. If it says we are lost without a Savior, we are lost. But the good news is it also tells us that you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. There is a living hope in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so not only does it reveal the condition of man, but it also gives us great hope in knowing that we can find Jesus Christ to save us, to wash us in his blood and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we might one day stand before God holy and righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of ourselves. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, and the title of my message this morning is simply The Riches of his grace. You will see that passage uh, as we read through this morning, that little title, The Riches of His Grace. And I, I don't know of a better way to describe it. I don't know of a better way to describe it. We, we can drive around to, uh, and, and we can look at different things and say, well, they must be rich people. They have a couple cars in their driveway and they have a boat or they have whatever. And we, we measure wealth by material goods. Yesterday, my wife and I took uh, Josh and Bella and Liam over to see their mom in Hamilton. And uh, while we were there, we, did, we didn't know what was all going to happen. We just thought they were going for a visit. And uh, because they were all together for the first, all, I think all four of them, for the first time since last September, uh, she decided she was going to order some supper. <coughs> they had it brought in. <coughs> excuse me. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, can somebody grab me a bottle of water, please? Pastor Paul, in my office, please. And... Um, and so they had some supper, so we had more time than normal to kill, and my wife and I, we needed to get something to eat. We'd been, had breakfast, we hadn't eaten lunch, and now four o'clock, and so we grabbed some uh, sandwiches, and I went in this sandwich shop there, and, and they had a real estate magazine, and there was a lineup, so I picked it up, and I'm just looking at the real estate. I couldn't believe what houses cost. And you think Simcoe's bad, go to the city. And houses that we lived in and paid 179000 for 12 years ago or 15 years ago are now a million-dollar home. It's incredible. And we look at that and we say, well, they have great riches. They have a lot of money. Well, they're probably the truth is they're very poor. To, to have a mortgage, it'll cost you five or $6,000 a month. And, and to try to keep up with just the basic cost of living today is, is such a difficult thing. And, and so we look at those people. Then we look at people like Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon or did own Amazon. And I think when he retired or stepped away from Amazon, I don't know what his net worth is today. It, his net worth goes up more every day than everybody in this room makes combined. But when he stepped down, it was $108 billion at that time, $108 billion. And between him and Elon Musk, it was a competition to see who had the most money in the world. And we look at that and we say, that's riches. But here's the thing, God owns it all. But we're not even talking about material wealth today. The Bible says the riches of his grace. Think about that. Man may measure things by material gain and wealth of, about what you have in your bank account or what you own or possess in this life. And, and I understand, thank you, Pastor Paul, I understand that we have to have certain possessions, don't we? 
We want a place to live. We want a shelter for our family. We need to have clothes on our backs and we need transportation. And so there's a certain amount of of these comforts that we have that are actually also needs. But the greatest thing you'll ever claim are the riches of his grace. When you stand before God one day, and by the way, it won't be long. It won't be long. It won't matter how many cars you owned or how many houses you purchased or how much money you have in the bank account. All that'll matter is what did you do with that gift of grace? Did you accept what Jesus offered you? Are you a child of God because the riches of his grace are far more important than the riches of this world? You humbled yourself. And trusted him to be your savior. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. And I, uh, there's a lot of doctrine in Ephesians chapter 1. And I don't mean for this to be a, a deep doctrinal study or a Bible study like it might be on a Wednesday night. But let us, let us look briefly at some of these doctrines as we move through and we get the, the principles of Scripture and apply them this morning. You know, grace is often what sets our God apart from other man-made gods. There may be those in the world today that say that their God is a God of grace, but the truth is, he cannot respond to them. And how is grace extended if it cannot be, a re- if a God cannot do anything? If he's a God of wood or stone or brass or a God of the imagination, how can he extend grace? There are a lot of small G gods in this world, and we know that there is a spiritual realm, and some of those gods are exalted from that spiritual realm. The Satan is called the God of this world. And people worship him, and maybe not knowingly. Perhaps they call him by another name, and they seek him for his benevolence, but the Bible says he's a murderer from the beginning. There's nothing good he has to offer, but our God is a good God, a God of grace, a God who loves us and he gives us his grace freely. Christians are often criticized because we believe that our God is the only God. Have you ever been criticized for that? Somebody might say something like this, well, you believe that your way is the only way of salvation. I've heard that many times, but here's the fact. It's true. It's true. Well, that's awful narrow-minded. Well, two plus two is four. That's narrow-minded too. But it's a fact. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says this, Jesus Christ was speaking in Matthew chapter 7 when he said this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. The most narrow verse I can find in the Bible is this, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you know Jesus Christ today? We just sang a song that I, I kind of threw in this morning. It wasn't on the original plans. But I wanted to sing that song and just introduce the message in that way. In Christ alone, my hope is found. That's it. Neither is there salvation in any other. 
For there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the precious name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, we're praying for your soul. You're lost and on your way to a Christless eternity, a place called hell. You say, well, that's, why would God ever make such a place? Why would a God of grace? Let me say he didn't make it for you. It was a place prepared for the devil and his angels, those that rebelled against God. But on this earth, God's people also rebelled. And we condemned ourselves. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that he that believeth not is condemned already. If we don't believe in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Let's direct our attention to scripture this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. As we talk about the riches of his grace. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us, listen to this, with all spiritual blessings. Any blessing you have came from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. From the Father of lights. That's where it came from. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we could be, or that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him." in whom we also obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of the glory of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom we also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Our Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. And we thank you for the, the, the wonderful blessings of your, of your grace and the riches and fullness that we find in the word of God. Father, help us today as we direct our attention to it. We pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts and help us, we pray. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look down to verse 3. I'm not going to take any more time for introduction this morning, but I want you to notice as we look through the scriptures, we find some important principles today. And I want you to notice our position in Christ. Verse 3 through 6 tells us about our position in Christ. And when I say our, I'm talking about the redeemed. I'm talking about those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about those that have prayed a prayer or been baptized or are a member of a church. I'm talking about those that have truly trusted in Jesus Christ and experienced the transforming grace by faith. 
It has changed your life. Somebody, somebody say amen. Uh, that you are walking different today than you were before. Even the kids understand when they sing, there's been a great change since I have been born again. There's new life in Christ. You have been quickened. You were once dead in trespasses and sins. That means you've been made alive. A change took place. And the Bible says that because of that, we have a certain position. And notice what he says in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, it is a heavenly position. It is a heavenly position. How many, how many of you know that old song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. God has blessed us in, in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That's where God rules. That's where he reigns. He is seated upon the throne and his son, Jesus Christ, is firmly planted at his right hand and is interceding for the saints on our behalf, pleading with God the blood of Christ every time we sin and understanding and telling God, these are my children. What a wonderful position to be in that we are in this heavenly position. This world, listen, the moment you got saved, this world was not your home. There was a place reserved for you in the heavens. Your name was written down in the Lamb's book of life. It is such a wonderful blessing to have this position in Christ. And we see in verse 4, it's not just a heavenly position, but it should be a holy position. It should be a holy position. I don't know of a lot anymore, and, and, and I, I used to get angry with preachers who would say, well, you don't hear preaching like this anymore. And I thought, I, I don't know what you're talking about, because everywhere I go, I'm preaching. <laughs> who are you not listening to? I don't know. But I think the truth is that in the day and age we live, we don't hear a lot of preaching about separation and godly living as much as we used to. And I'm just as guilty. I listen to sermons online. I try to, to listen to a couple sermons a week and, and refresh my heart and soul. I enjoy so much listening to Adrian Rogers and these preachers that have gone on to heaven and, and, and just such a knowledge of God's word and nothing flashy, nothing uh, just shouting and screaming and stomping their feet, but just giving the solid, unadulterated word of God. It's a help. It builds the heart and the soul. But even in all that listening, I don't hear a lot about separation. The Bible says we're to be a holy people. Notice what he says in verse 4 of this chapter. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now the key that you will find that resonates throughout the entire passage of scripture, we must be in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love is all because of the work of Christ in our life that we can be declared holy before a holy God. You, you cannot do it on your own. All of your righteousness is but filthy rags in the sight of God. But God, when he comes into your life, he can change you. Oh, that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. I wish, oh boy, I wish it did. Aren't you tired of the sin of this world? How many of you get mad at yourself when you sin? Get angry, beat yourself up at the altar every morning? Angry and upset and frustrated with the things that you thought, the things that you said? Oh, heavens, we're to be a holy people. But it's all because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's only because he has shed his blood and clothed us in his righteousness 
that we can be holy before God. I'm reminded of that old song, My Sins Are Gone. You ask me why I'm happy, I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. I like that one verse, when Satan comes to tempt me and tries to make me doubt, I say, my sins are gone. You got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out. I'm glad my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood through the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn. That's where they are. They're in the sea, buried in the deepest sea, a place where God remembers them no more. It is a heavenly position, but it is a holy position. God said when he saved us in Romans chapter 8 that, that he has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of the Son. He said, well, I want to be more like the Christians in my church. Oh, no, you ought to strive to be more like Jesus. Jesus did not save you, and the Holy Spirit did not come into your life to make you more like Adam or Pastor Paul or anybody else. He saved you to make you more like his son, Jesus. That's your purpose. We, we admire people. I was talking to Mrs. Doughty this morning, and I told her how much I loved her brother-in-law. Ray Doughty, we, we affectionately called him Dr. Doughty when we were in high school. Dr. Doughty, honorary doctorate. Just, he was such a great guy. He always liked to tell that story about you, Brother Bill. I heard it 30 times. And uh, Bill, Bill was a teenage boy, and Brother Daddy wanted him to help in the, in the, in the auditorium over at Maple Street and, and do some vacuuming and stuff. And he left, a, was it a nickel or a quarter? Just a nickel. He left it on the floor just to test him. And he went through and he vacuumed, and when he found, Bill found that nickel, you either put it up on the pew or you put it in the offering plate or something, and Brother Daddy said, that boy's going to be all right. Just a simple faith. We have heroes like that, don't we? I, I could go through a list this morning of just names that, that have blessed me over the years. I miss Brother Dorkson singing up here and other godly people. But God did not save me to make me like them. He wants me to be like Jesus. It's, it's about holy living. To be changed by the Spirit of God. You have to surrender to Him. That is your position in Christ. That is what He has brought you out of to bring you into. To make you a child of God. It is a heavenly position. It is a holy position. Friends, listen to this. It is an honored position. Look at verse 5. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children. What an honor to be a child of God. There are people in this world that will hold on to their last name and ride it to fame or riches and glory. Their mom or their dad was somebody famous or they were somebody rich, and so they used that name as leverage. There's no greater name in the world than the name of Jesus. To be called his child is such a wonderful privilege and an honor today. I want you to know today that if you're a child of God, the Apostle Paul is just letting us know that these spiritual blessings that he has given us, it is an honored position. We are adopted as children. When God saved you, you were elevated. You were not saved to stay the same, but to change. But there are certain expectations come with a changed life. And that's a holy life. A life that honors God.
But I want you to notice, secondly, we see our position in Christ, but verse 7, we see our pathway through Christ. The only way you get to that position is through Jesus. The only way we can experience these spiritual blessings is through knowing Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm not going to apologize today if somebody were to to get on Facebook this afternoon or get angry with our church and say, well, you guys believe that you have the truth and that nobody else else is going to heaven. And, And listen, I am not the judge of this world. I'm not sitting at the great white throne and saying you get to come in and you don't get to come in. That's all up to God. And that's that's determined by his grace, not mine. But I do know this, the Bible is very clear. Very plain about what a child of God is. About who gets to experience these spiritual blessings. And it is one who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Look at verse 7 with me as we talk about this pathway through Christ. It says, in whom we have redemption. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Uh, the fact that we often say it is only through Christ or we sing in Christ alone or that Jesus is a way. I'm not trying to promote our religion to the exclusion of others. I, I'm here to say that Jesus Christ is exclusive. That he is the only way. And we see some words here that help us understand that. Number one is the word redemption. Redemption through his blood. We were lost. We were sinners. The whole world found themselves in the exact same condition. And you say, well, maybe a lot of people don't understand that or believe that. Then why are they running to all their gods? They are looking for something. They are looking for salvation. They are looking to please their deity. But our God reached down in mercy. And sent his son, Jesus Christ, and shed his blood to redeem us. To pay the price for our sins. So we see redemption, then we also see remission. The Bible word there is the forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness means to remit or the remission as we call it, to put away our sins. I mentioned a moment ago that they are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. They are buried in the depths of the deepest sea. I heard a songwriter just recently sing a song that he wrote and he said, God just keeps digging deeper oceans. We think there's not a place that he can hide our sins, but he has the ability just to go deeper and deeper and bury them out of his sight. And he says, their sins shall I remember no more. Several years ago, it was 2012, I believe, for our anniversary services, we had an evangelist come in by the name of Richard Harper. And Brother Harper preached a message I'll, I'll never forget. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And he began to read through that passage of scripture. And he talked about David and how his faith and all these things about David. And and he stopped and he says, but that's not how I remember it. And he turned back and he says, David was an adulterer. David sinned greatly against God. David was a murderer. He read about Abraham and his faith, and he read about others, and he he keeps stopping. He said, but that's not how I remember it. And he says, do you know why we have Hebrews 11? Because in Hebrews 9, it says, their sins will I remember no more. 
He said, God wrote Hebrews 11 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because our sins are gone. We've been forgiven. We were just like all those that had sinned in that passage. We were in no better condition, but through the remission of our sins, we found forgiveness. He's put them away. Our pathway through Christ comes through redemption, it comes through remissions, but it also comes through riches, the riches of his grace. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, Those three words, just that one verse, verse 7, could help you so much. You need redemption through his blood. Redemption is almost used interchangeably in the Bible for the word salvation. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. We sang this morning, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. And maybe you're wondering, what does it even mean? It means that you've been purchased by the blood of Christ. That blood was shed to pay the price for sin, for the wages of sin is death. It was done so that you might not have to pay the price of sin yourself. Because you surely can't. The God who loved you so much sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He took your place. That's the riches of his grace. And once we're redeemed... Or as a process of redemption, he forgives us. But we have to call upon him. We have to ask him. We have to acknowledge we're sinners. We have to believe that Jesus Christ has the remedy for our sin. That he paid the price on the cross of Calvary. I'm not here to insult anybody today. So all you've done is called everybody here a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And friend, until you admit that you're lost, you'll never be found. Till you realize you're a sinner, you'll never come to a savior. Till you realize that you're part of the, the, the slavery of sin, you'll never want to be redeemed. You'll never be purchased. We must come to Christ alone. Our pathway is through Christ. No other religion can claim the grace of their God because they're constantly striving to please him or her. A vengeful God produces a vengeful people. But a God of grace produces a people of grace. A people of holiness. A people of righteousness. The Bible says in Titus that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. We're to live holy lives. God's grace will change you. Listen, if you did not come to God... Through the shed blood of Christ, I said before, it doesn't matter if you got sprinkled, dipped, poured, or plunged. All you got was wet. You say, well, I'm a member of the church. Try that at the great white throne. There will be others there beside you that will say, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. 
It's about being his. It's about being in Christ. We see the pathway, the pathway to Christ. Our position in Christ, the pathway through Christ. I want you to notice verse 10. I'm almost done. I won't keep you much longer. Our purpose in Christ. He said, why would God save me? Why would God offer this gift? If I, if, I, if I have sinned against God, if I have failed him so badly, and he's already got a place of punishment prepared for me, why? Why would he save me? Because part of the riches of his grace is that he has a purpose for your life. Notice what we see in verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. We see, first of all, a reunion. God is looking forward to the day where he has all his children together. I'm just recalling that reunion that we got to help with yesterday. I, I, was, I thought that it was the first time Liam got to see his mom since last September. My wife says that there was one time. In nine months, there's been one time he got to see his mom. And that was with a social worker escorting him in. Just a few minutes together and then out. But yesterday, they got together in a room. They got to have Kentucky Fried Chicken together. They got to laugh and have a good time together. How many, of you, how many of you parents love at Christmas time where you can get the whole family together? Well, I'm learning as they get older, it's, it's, it's harder, isn't it? Our kids are all over the world. I mean, literally this morning, we got one in Egypt. We got one in Egypt, one in Saskatchewan, one in Ohio, and Bethany at home. And to get them all together is almost impossible. They work different shifts. And what a blessing to get them. God says that day is coming. One of the greatest moments in history will be when God sends his son. He says, go and get your bride. And he steps out on a cloud in power, in glory, with trumpet sounds. And we are caught up to forever be with the Lord. What a reunion. What a time of rejoicing. And we look forward to that time. And, and, and you say, well, why, why is God saving me? Because it's all going to culminate with that day. God wants us all together. Those ones that we've talked about already that have died and gone on to heaven, they'll be there. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Oh, what a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Redemption. Redeemed for a purpose that we might be reunited. But then we also see a reward in verse 11. Who know, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. God has given you something, a heritage. He said, well, what is it? Well, I know the Bible says that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. What a wonderful promise of Scripture. 
I, I struggle sometimes, to be honest with you, about what, what that word mansions means. We, we think about a big building of gold. And we, have, we have mansions on this earth, but understand God's riches are all in grace. But here's what I know. If this earthly tabernacle were dissolved, I have a home that is not made by hands. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to fight anybody on this. And I'm not trying to throw away your songs. I've got a mansion just over the hill. I'm not trying to do that. You, you can believe what you want. That's fine about, about this. There's some other things you better believe the same, amen? Line it up with the Bible. But I'm wondering, am I going to trade this tabernacle? You know what a tabernacle was? It was a tent. It was temporary. It served a temporary purpose. Am I going to trade this tabernacle for a mansion? Wow, won't that be something? I do know this, I'm getting a glorified body. No more aches or pains. I'll probably even have hair. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All things will be made right. We have a reward. I guess I can talk like that a little bit because the Bible says, I have not seen, nor hath ear heard. Oh, all these, all these things I imagine, he says they enter into the heart of man, but it's not even close to what God has prepared for us. Not even close. I heard a, a creation science guy say one time, he says, what if you get to heaven and you, he went through a bunch of things, he says, what if you could taste the color green? He said, what if we had 80 senses instead of just five? And boy, it got my mind thinking. Heaven is a wonderful place. God has prepared for us a great inheritance. We see a reunion. It's a place for reunion. It's a place to reward. But notice this. He comes back. Paul comes back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We see our purpose in Christ, but we see a presentation of Christ. Basically, the apostle is saying, in light of all this, here's what you must do. Listen. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He says, you have all these blessings, all these spiritual blessings in Christ, You've experienced the richness of his grace all because you first trusted in Christ according to the word of God. That's it. We sometimes make salvation so difficult. It, it, it really is kind of a, an enigma, isn't it? A mystery. Salvation is far more involved than sometimes we let on. But yet it's so simple. God gave us his son to remove the penalty of sin, to pay the price. He gave us his word to point us towards Jesus. He's done everything necessary. And Paul says all you have to do is trust. You have to believe that it's true according to the word of God. Let's bow our heads this morning. Let me ask you, friend, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Maybe today you're already saved and 
I think it's important. I think it's important to be reminded of all that Christ has done for us regularly. Every song we sing just talks about different things he's done for us. The blood that was shed, his redemption, the mighty cross this morning. He has the power to redeem. That buried body began to breathe. He rose from the dead for us. It causes the heart to rejoice for those that truly know Christ. So I would encourage you today to spend some time in thanksgiving. Praising God for what he has done. Does there one here today say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I call myself a Christian. I go to church and I'm a pretty good person. But I've not come through the blood. I've not truly trusted in Jesus to change my life and come in and become his child. We'd sure love to help you with that today. We'll take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? The pianos can begin to play. <laughs> if God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come? But if there's one, say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. We'll keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And would you just slip up your hand this morning? Let me pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I promise you that. But could I pray for you today? Could I ask God to continue to teach you and to show you through his Holy Spirit what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ? Is the one here today say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm saved. Anywhere in this room. So what we're saying then is that we've done it the Bible way. We've trusted in Christ. As it says in verse 13, after we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom Jesus also, after that ye believed, we believed in Jesus. We trusted in him. There's no other way. All must come through the blood of Jesus Christ.